Thank you, Casey. Good morning. Good to see everyone. I'm excited for Ecclesias to kick off fall Ecclesias. Ecclesia is Greek for church, in case you're wondering, or Ecclesia. Sometimes I think, I think it's the proper pronunciation. Um, but guys, that's where the action's at. We like, every church likes to talk about community. That's just a, you know, it's a very natural thing to do. Not to marginalize it at all, but community is only as real as, as our relationships and, and, our, and our getting to know each other, sharing time together, actually meeting up with one another outside of this. So that's, that's what we do. Ecclesias are really, really important. And in my opinion, they're just a lot of fun. I mean, what could be cooler than just getting to know like folks you sit next to week in and week out over a meal, um, talk about the scriptures together, um, voice your questions, uh, your objections, your opinions, process through theology and Bible and Jesus together in the context of relationship. Uh, that's where it gets fun. That's where it gets real. So there you go. Ecclesia's happening. Um, okay, guys, we're going to go to the book of Lamentations this morning. You guys feeling that? Lamentations. Yeah, it's just to the right of Jeremiah, if you've not been there in a while. Um, so Jeremiah's a big one. If you just open your Bible right about in the middle, you'll find Jeremiah. Hook a right, and you'll get to Lamentations. Um, but before we do that, I wanna, I've got a few questions that I want to put out there. Here they are. I'll ask it this way. If you were to ask one of my kids in two to three words, how would you describe your dad or your papa as they know me? What do you think they'd say? You're like, I don't know. I don't know you. I don't know your kids. Didn't even know you had kids. How about this one? Maybe you have kids. You could word it the other way around. You could say if someone were to go to your children or your grandchildren and say, in two to three words, describe your mom or your dad to me, what do you think they would say? Here's another question. If you were to go to my wife and ask her, in maybe two or three words only, how would you describe your husband, Simon? What do you think she would say? Or if someone was to go to your spouse and when they're not around, say, hey, in two to three words, describe your husband or wife to me. What do you think they would say? Or here's one that's a bit more universal. You're like, I'm not married. I have no kids. Okay. If you were to go, if I was to go to your best friend and ask them in two to three words, describe your best friend to me. What do you think they would say? Be an interesting exercise. What do you think they would say? How about this? If I was to come to you, let's just say someone was to come to you and ask you the question, in two to three words, how would you describe your God to me? What would you say? Last week, we talked about friendship. The doodle's still left there. Um, if you weren't here, it's fine. Um, you can always listen to the sermon on, the, on our podcast online. Um, 
relationships are only as valuable as they are uh, real. We all, I think, um, aspire to enjoy healthy relationships, whole friendships, uh, family, depth of, of being known and, and knowing one another. And if you're a Christian in here, assuming most of us are, um, but perhaps not all of us, we want to we have a relationship with God. God desires relationship with us. And one of the things that I love about following Jesus, I've been following Jesus for, gosh, it's been almost 20 years now. Over 20 years. Here's one of the things that I love about following Jesus the most. It's that it's not just an idea. It's not just spirituality in the abstract. It's Jesus is alive. By his spirit, he's present with us when we gather like this. And so to follow Jesus is a very real life uh, experience. It's a journey. It's a relationship that's just as real, as mysterious as that may sound, as any relationship you might have with another person here in this room. At least when you delve into the scriptures, this is, this is, what, this is what we find. This is what it's meant to, to look like, to feel like. We walk in relationship with our God. There's a few individuals in the Bible who actually did that. They walked with God. They were friends with God. It's amazing. This is what God invites us into. How would you describe your best friend? Let's say Jesus is your best friend. And someone was curious. And they said, now I've heard you talk about Jesus. You talk about him as if like you know him. Describe him to me. Two to three words. Who is this God? Now, I suppose it's fair to say that by definition, biblically, we could, we could say a short list of things for sure. God is, for example, God is holy. That's, that's got to be right at the top of the list. God is loving. God is patient. God is gracious, merciful. God is powerful. God is just. God is righteous. God is good. He's good. All the time. There it is. God is present. God is compassionate. God is courageous. And so much more. But is he always? Is he always? Maybe he is right now. Maybe for you right now, God is merciful. Maybe right now in this moment, or perhaps yesterday or last year, God was compassionate towards you. He was good. He was generous. He was something very real and necessary to you then. But is he now? Will he be tomorrow? Or most importantly, will, be, will God be who you've known him to be, who, he's, who we're told he is when it really, really counts, when life is kicking off, when things are picking up speed, and things aren't exactly the way you would like them to be, and you're tempted to do whatever you need to do just to keep your head above water and stay afloat. Will God be who you knew him to be, who he claims to be, who you, 
who you've been told he is then, when it really counts. Let's go to Lamentations, shall we? Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read all the way up through verse 23. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He's besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He's made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He's walled me about so that I cannot escape. He's made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He's a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness He has sated me with wormwood. He's made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cover in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I do have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The question, will God be strong? Will he be compassionate? Will he be merciful? Will his grace be enough when I need him the most? The answer is, the answer is, yes. Yes. Despite Everything going on around you, despite how you might feel, despite that you might feel like God's not even there, like he shut you out, like he's not even listening to your prayers. God is on mute. Despite everything going around, God is faithful. I love the KJV. Great is thy faithfulness. God is faithful. God is faithful. Do you know his faithfulness? As a church family, 
we want to experience his faithfulness but as, as individuals. I hope that we would, we would know his faithfulness, that we would have the kind of life that no matter what's going on around, we, can, we have this, this calm, peaceful, humble, confident assurance that no matter what's going on around us, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is faithful. Not only is he able, not only is he willing but he's consistent, he's faithful. He will be there when it counts, always. As a family, we wanna experience that. We also, we wanna embody that. So last week, um, I started us on a very little four-part series, if you will, which we entitled Family Values. We can, we can go up there, the slide please. Family values, there it is. I love that. Last week we talked about our family value of friendship. I made the point, I attempted to, to make the point that, that as a family, um, you want to talk about following Jesus, growing spiritually. You know, every, everyone likes, we want to grow, we want to mature, we want to advance. Um, certainly as a Christian, I want to, I want to be spiritually mature. You know what that means? When I say I want to be spiritually mature, it means I want to learn to love God and love people like I've been loved. I want to have friendships that resemble the way God has befriended me in Christ. So it's really that practical. I call it as love demystified. It's affection on the ground. It's real relationship, the stuff of friendship. And that's, that's our, our first family value, that if we, if we can just get anything right this year, let's get that one right. Let's grow in that. Let's learn how to be better friends so that this is more than just a meeting on a Sunday, maybe even on a Wednesday night if you come to Ecclesia. But there's something else going on, something of real depth that we can legitimately call friendship. Family value number two. Faithfulness, faithfulness. Because there is no such thing as friendship without faithfulness or relationship without trust, if you prefer. Or conversely, no friendship of, really, of, of any real depth or significance will ever outlast the long-term toxicity of broken promises. No relationship can last or withstand the lack of faithfulness. And so if our family value of friendship is to be a real value that we not merely aspire towards, but embrace and live out, then we need to, we need to figure out faithfulness as well. How can we experience God's faithfulness and then embody it in our relationships, in our church, as a family of God? say it like this, as a church family, we value faithfulness because we value each other. We value friendship and we recognize that our friendships will only run as deep as our trust, our trust in God and in one another, and trust only deepens as we live and grow in faithfulness, making promises, keeping commitments, following through, pledging to be there for each other, and then showing up. 
and showing up and showing up and showing up. This is, this is the real stuff of friendship. This is the real stuff of family. I've got a few kids. I've learned this in a very, very real way. If I want to have any sort of real lasting relationship, well, for sure with Shirley, but with my little ones as well, they're looking to see if Papa is more than talk. Am I able? Of course I'm able. I'm Papa. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm Mr. Homelander. I'm like the strongest being... No? No one? Okay. <laughs> slight reference slash confession. Um, am I able? Yes, absolutely. Am I willing? Of course I want to be a good dad, but will I be there when it counts? That's what will determine the depth of friendship that I have with my children. Faithfulness. That's where we want to grow. So here's the question. Two questions, actually. How do we grow in faithfulness? How do we grow in faithfulness? And secondly, how should I respond when a friend has been unfaithful or has acted unfaithfully to me? How do I grow in faithfulness? How do we grow in faithfulness as a, as a community? And then what do we do when someone has been unfaithful towards me? Where do I go with that? How do I respond? How do we grow in faithfulness? Well, it begins by recognizing our need to grow. Okay, now this might sting a little bit. All right? How do we grow? We begin by admitting, I need to grow. I desperately need to grow in this area. In fact, I would argue that not a single one of us has mastered the discipline of faithfulness in this room. We, we need to grow in this. We need to learn how to become more faithful. And I could rant for a good hour up here about how we live in this society and there's these cultural things and technology and texting and don't even get me started about why it's become increasingly difficult to, to be faithful friends, to be people of our word, to make and keep promises and there's a reason why we struggle relationally and why our families break down and why and why we're not faithful and so we begin by simply admitting I I need to grow in this I need to figure this out and it's one of these things where it it can sound very simple like hey we want to be a church that's known for being nice to each other cool okay here's all you have to do just be nice to each other simple right No, not really. It's incredibly difficult and complex. And by the way, being nice is not one of our family values. That's just a given, right? Let's just be nice to each other. Faithfulness, though, that's something else. How do we do this? Okay. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Don't turn there. Let me read this to you. We do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way has been tempted as we are yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we begin by confessing, um, I need to become more faithful. And I've not been faithful, and I could probably list off the ways even just recently. God, I'm confessing my sin now. Won't you please help me? And we find grace to help in time of need. Grace, not as a mere sentiment of God, 
but grace is in the power of God, God's spirit at work within us to help us actually grow in faithfulness, to be faithful like our, our God has been towards us. That's the first thing. Now, in terms of how we actually grow, number one, we grow not by avoiding commitment or finding ways to sidestep responsibility or situations where faithfulness, faithfulness is actually required, but by eagerly embracing the small opportunities that we're given to make and keep commitments day to day. Now, there's a, there's a very real thing, a phenomenon, if you will, that the best way to not be flaky or like lack faithfulness is just don't ever commit. Problem solved. Loophole. That's not how you grow in faithfulness. That's not how you grow. That's not how you, you deepen in your relationships by avoiding real relationship. No, you look for it, you embrace it. And typically in the day to day, the little, little opportunities that are presented to us in practical ways. Hey, can you help me? Can you be there for me? Can you do this for me? Can I? I'm inviting you to make a commitment in some way right now. Will you please do that? What is your default response? You probably don't really think about it a lot because it's default. But think about it. When someone asks you if you can do something or be someplace, what's your, how do you typically respond to that? Yeah, sure, probably. Uh, let me get back to you. Um, or yeah, I'll be there. But there's this like unsaid understanding that maybe I will, maybe I won't. And we struggle to actually say, you know, hang on, let me think. Hold on, let me check my calendar. Okay, yeah, I can do that. I'll be there. I will do that. Now you've just made a little commitment. It may be a small commitment. But now you've given yourself the opportunity to actually follow through. This is how we grow in faithfulness. Not by avoiding making commitments, but by recognizing the opportunities and uh, taking them when we can. Number two, we grow in faithfulness by viewing every commitment as an actual commitment made in the sight of God. My kids got this thing where if they're trying to get me to like commit to something, uh, like Evie's been just bugging me. She's so sweet, but she wants me to build her a loft bed in her room. We've got this crazy idea that we're gonna put all three kids in one room. I don't know why we're gonna do this. And then the other room, the other kid's room, which the boys are sharing right now, will be like a little playroom. It's, it's gonna be crazy. So Evie's got a vision. Hey, Papa, will you build me a loft bed so that it'll create more space in the room? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll probably do that. Pinky promise. And she'll put her finger out. Now, if I lock the pinky, <laughs> that's it. Like, this is, we're talking like blood covenant. <laughs> and if I'm not careful, Judah's the worst, my six-year-old. He'll ask me to do something. Hey, Papa, can we do this or whatever? And if I'm not careful, he'll he'll grab my pinky. Like when I'm not looking, like, he'll get me and I'll be like, ha, got you. That's a pinky promise. I'm like, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Yes, it does. It's a pinky promise. You pinky promise. It's, it's done. 
It's ridiculous. What if, what if that was our attitude though? What if when we made commitments to each other, we viewed every commitment as an actual commitment, i.e. a pinky promise? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Our father never, he doesn't make quote unquote promises. He doesn't make pinky promises. He just simply gives his word. That's his, I'm going to do this and therefore you can trust that our God is faithful. He will do it. He doesn't need to qualify it with a pinky promise because everything God says that he'll do, he does because he is utterly and always faithful. Now, to be sure, some commitments are more weighty than others. Okay, now I've made a promise to stay married to my wife until one of us keels over. Okay, that's a weighty promise. That's a proper covenant. That's a pinky promise if there ever was one. <laughs> so that doesn't mean like every commitment is like at the same level. Nonetheless, a commitment is a commitment. And there is no such thing as saying, I will be there, and then walking away, thinking, well, we'll see what happens. Colossians 3.17. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Number three, we grow in faithfulness by learning how to say no. This one, I could probably find a Bible verse for it, but it's, it's more of just a common sense thing. One of the reasons um, why we, we struggle in the area of faithfulness, which affects our friendships, is because we've not learned how to say no. We'll say yes, but not really thinking it through. We've not counted the cost, as we say. And so we'll make a commitment only to like realize five minutes later, like I probably shouldn't have done that. Maybe there's a 50-50 chance that I'll actually be able to follow through. So we need to learn how to be very slow to make a commitment. Make the commitment, that was point number one. Don't avoid it, but then think through it and get good at saying, no, I'm not gonna do that or no, I'm not gonna be able to, to be there for that thing. Um, maybe I will, but I'm, I cannot make a commitment to you. I'm saying no to you right now. And that's called boundaries. Healthy, super, super important for healthy functional friendships. Last one, number four, we grow by learning to own the times when we fail. Um, if you've ever made a commitment to me and then you don't keep it, I don't know that I get this like 100% of the time, but you will not enjoy that experience. I don't think I'm a mean person, but I've just, I've gotten to the point where, because faithfulness, I believe, is a really, really big deal to God. It's like at the core of his heart, he is faithful. So for me, if you make a commitment to me, and I care about you as a brother or sister in Christ or as a human being, and you fail, to keep that commitment, I'm gonna have a conversation with you. I'm gonna look you in the eyeballs and say, hey, you, you said that you were going to do that, um, but you didn't follow through. How come? 
and then just not say anything. I've had people leave our church because of conversations like that. And it breaks my heart. It really, really does. But they're like, whoa, what? Like, who are you? Like, what cult have I joined? You know, like, just because I'm actually having the conversation with like, hey, you, you made a commitment and you, you said you were gonna do that, but you didn't. How come? What I'm doing is giving that person that I actually care about the opportunity to recognize, oh yeah, I've, I've broken a commitment. I've sinned against a friend. I've sinned against God. Now you, you might think, well, that's, that's heavy. Sin? Really? You're going to call it sin? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we're not faithful to keep our word, to follow through with our commitments, that's sin. And we need to be confronted with that so that we can bring it to God and say, God, I'm confessing this to you. Is there grace to help me? And God says, oh yeah, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. But you gotta give it to me. You gotta call it what it is. You gotta bring it to me. And hopefully as brothers and sisters, as friends, we can lovingly confront each other in that way. And then hopefully we'll have enough security within ourselves to say, yeah, I'll own that. I'll own it. You're right. I said I'd be there. I said I'd do that. And I, I didn't follow through. I'm so sorry. Would you help me? That might sting a little. Which brings us to our next question. How should we respond when a friend is unfaithful. So besides perhaps having an awkward conversation in love, and I emphasize that, like what I'm talking about, like this be mean each other, you know, tough love, calling you out, you know, like we're all in the military or something. No, let's, let's be nice and civil and loving and patient and gentle and respectful towards each other, but let's be bold in our love and have those conversations. Then what? What if, what if you make a commitment to me and then you don't follow through? Where do we, where do we go from there? Where do we go from there? Number one, three things. Number one, it matters. It matters. Have you ever had someone make a commitment to you and then they break the commitment and somehow it becomes like known? Maybe you've not confronted them, but it's like, okay, yeah, you said you were gonna do that, but you didn't. And, and maybe even that person's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, yeah, yeah, I meant to be there, but you know, something came up. And then what do you say? Oh, it's all good. Is it? Is it really? Because I think if we just proceeded like that willy-nilly, eventually that will have an effect on the trust level within our relationship. The lack of faithfulness will become toxic and will actually cause our friendship to become relatively superficial. So it matters. It really matters. If someone makes a commitment and doesn't follow through, we need to, in our own hearts, say, you know, that's not right. It's not all good. It's all bad. We need to call it what it is. Here's something interesting. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Jesus said, one who is faithful in a very little thing is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little thing is also dishonest in much. You know what precedes Luke 16? Luke 15. 
I was waiting for someone to, I set you up. That was a, that was a slow pitch. Um, Luke, what's Luke 15? It's the parable of the prodigal son. My arguably many of our favorite parable. Parable of the prodigal son. It's the story. Jesus tells the story. And he, mind you, here's the context. Jesus is he's becoming known as the rabbi who associates with sinners and tax collectors. And he's, he's, he's welcoming them. He's befriending them. He's, he is the friend of sinners. And he's beginning to teach people who would otherwise be locked out of the temple about the graciousness of God, about the mercy of Yahweh. And of course, he's, he's, he's getting popular and he's getting a lot of critics with it. So the religious elite, the Pharisees and the scribes, these are the ones who are running the church. They come to Jesus to, to accuse him, to critique him. And then he tells them the parable of the prodigal son, as we call it. And it's the story of a young man who asked his rich father for his inheritance ahead of time. The father gives it to him, shockingly, and the son goes off and he wastes it all in, like, uh, in luxurious living and he just squanders it. Just, you know, he, yeah, he, just, he goes to Vegas, has a crazy time. And he is the prodigal son because he, he spent all of his father's money. And then finally, one day he wakes up in a pigsty. He's sleeping in mud. And the story says he comes to his senses and he says, you know, I should go home. My dad, he's, he's got servants, slaves living in the house who have it better than I do. What am I doing? Let me go home. And he begins to re- rehearse this, dad, I'm so sorry I've sinned against you and heaven. Won't you please take me back? I'll do whatever I can to set things right, speech. And as he's traveling home, reciting his speech to himself. It says his father sees him over the horizon and goes running towards him, throws his arm around him, kisses him, tells one of the servants, quick, run back to the house, get my robe, the nicest robe, wrap it around my son, cover him, put the ring back on his finger. My son, who was once lost, has been found. He was once dead, but now he's alive and he's come home, let's have a party. Beautiful, and as a sinner personally, I'm like, that's. Thank God, thank God, I have a father in heaven who loves like that, because I've been that prodigal son for sure. Of course, there's a brother, the older brother. He finds out about the whole situation, and and he's he's bitter, he's jaded. He's like, look, I've I've been I've been here the whole time, been working, doing it right, keeping my nose clean. I never got a party. And he complains to his dad. And his dad is like, look, you've been here the whole time. Everything that I have is yours. I'm not withholding anything from you. Come in, celebrate with me. Your brother's home. And the parable is told so that the religious elite who he's speaking to directly would associate with the older brother. They would realize, man, we're being like the older brother. And we want to complain about the sinners instead of celebrating the grace of God. Then comes Luke 16. And it specifically says, then Jesus told his, this parable to his disciples, the sinners and the tax collectors. And what does he tell them? What's Luke 16? It's the parable of the dishonest manager. It's a parable about a guy who had a rich master and was entrusted with a lot of money. This is like the prodigal son thing all over again. So the rich master gives this manager a whole lot of money. And what does the manager do? He squanders it. 
And as the story proceeds, Jesus says, look, he is going to be held accountable. He's going to be called to account because he's not been a good steward of the money that was entrusted to him. And the manager, he, he, he thinks, and he says, let me get all of my master's debtors and see if I can't settle their accounts. And he gives them discounts. And he's very shrewd. And the owner, the, the, the rich master, comes back to check on the manager and he finds out what he's done. He says, oh, very well done, well done. And the, the parable goes on to commend the disciples or, or, or encourage the disciples to use the money that has been entrusted to you wisely. Use it in a way that builds up relationship. Be faithful with the little that I've entrusted you. It's the other side of the prodigal son. On one hand, Luke 15, prodigal son, God is so gracious. And if you've wasted everything, you can come home because God has made a way for us to be covered in Christ Jesus, that we can be sons and daughters once again. And he's telling that to the religious elite, but then he goes on. He says, but hang on, hang on. There's another side of this. Okay, when you get home and God restores you and he gives you that new robe and he puts that ring in your finger, brand new sandals, don't think for one second that you won't be held accountable for all that God has done for you, all that he's given you. You will be. And the parable ends by saying, you can only have one master. You can't serve God and money. The whole thing is actually a parable about money. It matters. If we're faithless with a little, we're going to be faithless with much. If we can't be entrusted to follow through with the little things now, God's not going to entrust us with bigger things, things of significance later. Will we always be welcomed back in the home? Absolutely. As long as we're willing to say, God, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Would you take me home? Of course I'll take you home. You'll never, ever, ever, ever stop being my child. Get in here. And we will be held accountable. There will be consequences, which brings me to my second point. Number one, it matters. Number two, Consequences are loving. Psalm 119, verse 75. God afflicts me in his faithfulness. God afflicts me in his faithfulness. Most famously, Hebrews 12, 6. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. When a friend is unfaithful to me, the consequences of that breaking trust are significant. And in fact, if I try to simply marginalize or sweep those consequences under the rug, that's not loving. It's not loving. Because God holds us accountable. Because when I break my word, when I fail to follow through, it has an effect on the relationships around me. It matters, and that's why consequences awaken us to that. 
The consequences of our failure to be faithful should jolt us, should remind us that actually these things are important because my relationships are important and I have a responsibility to actually love people and live my life in a way that reflects the very heart of my God. And so it's very loving to allow the consequences to actually play out. You know Lamentations 3 where we started? Lamentations 3 is the outworking of Deuteronomy 28. You guys know Deuteronomy 28? Blessings and curses. So Moses, he's been wandering around the desert with God's people for 40 years. And they're just about to enter in to the promised land. This place that God had prepared for, his, for, the, for the nation of Israel, his people. And then right as they're about to to enter this land, Moses is about to hand over the leadership to Joshua. And he makes this speech in Deuteronomy 28. And he says, look, if if you're faithful to trust and obey Yahweh and all that he's commanded, then I will take care of you. I will bless you. I'll bless your brains out. Like it's gonna be good times. But if you're not faithful, if you rebel, if you turn to other gods, I will curse you. And it will be terrible it will go very, very bad for you. You know all that like super hardcore, harsh stuff that we read in Lamentations 3? God did that to his people. Those were the consequences because what they do? Well, they did exactly what Moses said they would do in Deuteronomy 28. He says, look, I, I know how this is gonna play out. Moses was being prophetic. He says, I know what's gonna happen. You're gonna get into the land and you won't be faithful and you will turn to other gods and so God will have to discipline you. And Babylon's gonna come along and they're gonna conquer you and it's gonna be the worst thing ever. And this is how God is gonna, is, is gonna treat you as his children. It's, it's intense stuff. So Lamentations 3 is that working of Deuteronomy 28. And you say, whoa, 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 whoa. What about Jesus? What about Jesus? Okay, we're, it feels like we're like deep into the Old Testament here. Like, what about Jesus? Yeah, what about, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? First of all, don't make the mistake of thinking, oh, that was just Old Testament. You know, when you do that, when you say that, there, there's an actually, that's a specific heresy. It's called Marcionism. When you say, oh, that's, that's God of the Old Testament. No, no, that's, that's, nope, don't do that. God is the same, old and new throughout, okay? In fact, it's funny, you wanna talk about the Old Testament. You know what, what book of the Bible Jesus quoted from more than any other book in all of Scripture is Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. He's constantly quoting from Deuteronomy. Okay, so what about Jesus? Didn't he come to become a curse for me? Yes, but Jesus didn't die for us so that we can go on sinning but now just, we don't have to worry about the consequences anymore. No, Jesus died for us so that we can experience a new kind of life. With hearts that are being filled with the Spirit, hearts that desire what God desires, hearts that have been rewired for faithfulness. This is why Jesus became a curse for us, so that we don't have to repeat what Humanity is always done over and over and over again. We're given, this, 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 is, this is Deuteronomy 30. You know, Moses goes on to say, but here's what's gonna happen. Let me read this to you. Oh, it's so good, guys. You guys, I love this. So Deuteronomy 28, so this is what's gonna happen if you disobey. 
but this is what God's gonna do because he is so faithful. Deuteronomy 30 says, when you return to the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your children so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. This is why Jesus is the game changer. When we turn to him, he doesn't just cover our sins. He makes us new from the inside and out. He doesn't just wipe the dirt off. He gives us a new heart. This is Ezekiel 11. This is Joel 2. This is Jeremiah 31. This is the new covenant that the prophets of the Old Testament were looking forward to. That the one would come and crush the head of the serpent by laying down his own life. That the spirit of God might be poured out and that we would be given new hearts so that we could walk in faithfulness like our faithful God. It doesn't remove the consequences of our sin. We're just given new hearts so that we can grow, so that we can mature, so that we can learn to walk as faithful friends. Last one. How should I respond when a friend has been unfaithful to me? Don't ever give up on them. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, our heavenly father remains faithful even when we are not. Don't stop loving. Don't stop bearing. Don't stop trusting. Don't resign to just say, oh, okay, you're gonna be a flake, I'll just be a flake too. And that, that'll be kind of how we interact. No, no, no. Will I let you down? Of course I will. I already know it because I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm fallible. I'm flawed. I'm not perfect. Will I make promises, pinky promises for God's sake to my kids and fail to keep them? Probably, probably. As good as my intentions are. I will be unfaithful from time to time. I'm asking you to not give up on me. I'm promising to not give up on you when you fail to keep a promise to me because my God hasn't given up on me yet. He's faithful even when we are not. Can I invite the worship team to join me up front, please? I want to um, just say two, two closing thoughts. Number one, um, I, I felt led, I've been praying all week, praying for you guys, praying for some of you specifically, and I felt like the Lord wanted me to say something to you. And that is some of you are going through stuff in life right now where maybe it's not quite Lamentations 3, but it's, it's hard and you're being tempted, strongly tempted to wonder, God, are you gonna come through? 
Are you gonna be, are you gonna be strong for real? Like I've heard the stories. I even have a couple of them myself, but that was yesterday, that was last year. Right now, today, I feel like it's all coming down. My health, my job, my money, my marriage, it's, it's hard. And I want you to know that God is faithful. That if he's nothing else, he is faithful. Don't give up. Don't give up. He's more faithful than any one of us could possibly fathom. And you think, yeah, I've messed up. Okay. There's going to be some consequences to that. (laughs) Thank God he's merciful. (laughs) There will be some consequences for sure. Know that our father disciplines his children because he loves us. They're meant to help us. But will he be faithful? Is he just going to send me away to, to be alone forever? No, that's, that would be a lie from the pit of hell. Even in the midst of your consequences, even when you've been dumb and sinned and just, just brought it all coming down, Know that God is faithful. He's faithful enough to even work all that stuff together if we'll give it to him. God loves meeting us in our weakness. It's, I don't know how to, how to fix any of this. God says, give it to me. Now, you don't want this. It's ugly. It's embarrassing. Give it to me. But it's shameful. Then definitely give it to me. Because I am so faithful that I can work it all together. I make something beautiful out of it. Our Father is the master of redemption. You know what that means? He's constantly redeeming. So he takes what the enemy intended for evil and then he uses it to, to, to preserve life, to make beautiful things. Just don't stop believing that he's faithful. He won't let you down. I promise you. Here's the other thing. So some of you already know this because we made a couple of announcements, but maybe many of you don't. In four months, we're moving out of this building. When we signed the lease to to meet in this little building like this um, with Door of Hope, exactly three years ago to the day, um, I remember signing the lease and I was so pumped. I'm like, man, how, how blessed are we? We get to meet in this building. It's unreal. And uh, the pastor, Russ, he told me that the executive pastor, he said, FYI, we've got some plans for this building. We're probably going to want it back in maybe like a year, two max. Okay, that was three years ago to the day. So I've always known this day would come. Like we've been blessed I've always seen it this way. God said, here, try out this building. I wanna see if you can be faithful with this very, very little thing as renters. Enjoy it, have fun, use it, but I will hold you accountable. So here we are three years later. We've been looking for a building. I met a guy uh, earlier this week 
he owns a whole bunch of property, different buildings around Portland. And I was seeing him about a place that he owns, beautiful place, old, old fruit packing factory uh, down in Southeast. Side of the building, there's a big plaque that reads, the first fruits belong to the Lord. I'm like, that's, that's obviously a sign. We go up and we're looking around this big, it's really cool, gutted warehouse, renovated, big old high ceiling exposed bricks. You know, it's cool, super cool. We're walking around and then we go downstairs and the, the, the lady, the agent that was showing us the place said, hey, do you want to meet the owner on your way out? And I'm like, yeah, why not? So he comes out, we're standing out in the loading dock. His name's Dave. And we start talking and, uh, and I, I think to myself, I'm going to put my cards on the table. And I say, Dave, so we're a church and we want to see the gospel just go out throughout this city. I want to see people meet Jesus in your building. So that's kind of where we're coming from. His eyes light up. And he said, okay, let me tell you something. God has a building for you. He's got something that, that, that will just blow your expectations out of the water. But I want to challenge you right now. You need to stop praying like a renter and you need to start praying like an owner. And he got right up in my face and he was like, <laughs> just like, he was like, let me tell you something, brother. Let me tell you something. There's a fight. Are you ready for it? The devil's got plans for this city, but God's got bigger plans. And he starts to preach the faithfulness of God to me. And I'm just like, and it was like one of these moments where he, I'm like here, all of a sudden he's like up here. And I'm like, I'm not quite sure how to engage with you in this, but I'm just like, amen, amen, hallelujah, hallelujah. And he's like, look at you don't, you don't pray any lame, weak prayers. Our, our God, our Father is bigger than that. He's, he's got more than that. Son, you pray like an owner. And I'm like, yes, sir, yes, sir. And we walked down that loading dock and I was with Gabe Callaway. Where are you at, Gabe? There you are. He sits on our board. And I said, Gabe, looks like we got our marching orders. And he's like, yep. Now I want to go back to, to Dave and be like, so about this place, how about this? Until we find the building God has called us to own, how about you give us yours rent-free for a year? I'm being serious. If it comes to it, like I'll, I'll attempt to meet him up here. So anyways, there it is. I've been wanting to, to sort of make the announcement publicly, as it were, for a little while. Uh, we have four months to find wherever God wants us to, to continue what he has started. First Thessalonians, Paul writes and he says, faithful is he who called and he shall bring it to pass. God started this and our father is faithful. He will continue what he's begun. You guys with me? Can we stand together, please? You're now listening to Grace City Portland.